Dan and Nick, we're back. I don't know what episode number it is. Maybe I do. Really? We're talking about the Pac-12 championship football game? So forget the episode number. It's going to be great either way. So this episode is going to be a little bit shorter. We're going to get quick, get to the points. A little facts, a little sass, all that. We're back, baby. Come on now. So to recap the game, I think um, the main takeaway for me is why <laughs> Oregon, why did you not like play like this good all year? This, uh, this game showed truly what Oregon was capable of. I mean, they dominated the number five team in the country at their own game in terms of defense and running the ball. And it just, it, it was, I mean, it was actually kind of a boring game to watch. I'm not going to act like it's fun to watch. But for Oregon, it's just so frustrating. Why was this formula not followed all season? If you were able to run the ball and control the game with your defense against Utah, then why couldn't you have you done it against every other team? It just, it literally makes no logical sense. And I don't know if they outthought themselves this year. Um, anyway, I don't want to rag on Oregon too much. They did just win the conference championship. But it's just a little frustrating seeing that this is what they were capable of. They, they played a great game. They looked like, I want to say, a college football playoff team. And I haven't said that about them all year. So um, for Oregon, good job winning the game. Just uh, very confusing as to why you didn't play like this all year. And uh, for Utah, uh, the main takeaway is, and I mean, Utes fans aren't going to like this, but I'm just being honest. They really don't have the talent to compete with the Oregon just yet. And um, even though they had the number five ranking, um, I think this was apparent earlier in this year. When they were playing Washington, they were getting beat up on the lines. I mean, Washington really was controlling that game. And um, if it wasn't for a intercept, a pick six thrown by Huskies quarterback Jacob Eason, Utah really probably would have lost in Seattle. So Utah's formula of running the ball and playing defense is great, but now they're recruiting. They need to look for that one real wide out. Or I, I mean, I guess Zach Moss is a stud halfback. So yeah, they need that one real wide out, that one real game changer. He can be fast, just the fastest guy you can find because they really didn't have anyone to win in one-on-one coverage against Oregon. It put Tyler Huntley in some tough situations. Granted, he he did not play his best game at all, made some very questionable throws. But when you don't have anyone who can win in one-on-one matchups, it just it makes it nearly impossible to win. I mean, essentially, the defense can play man-to-man on you from there. So for Oregon, good win. Just why didn't you do this all year? Seriously, like figure it out, guys. Uh, but they can still win the Rose Bowl and accomplish some pretty cool things. And for Utah, um, they should be really impressed with the talent level they do have. They've done some great things the last two seasons in making it to the Pac-12 championship. But they're in the offseason, they're really going to need to look to recruit some wideouts, some game-changing receivers that can just, like run, like I said, run a 4-2, just put some pressure on the back end of a defense. Hey, I almost forgot to give my dude Dane a shout-out. Dane! Get us started on your end of the spectrum. What you got for me this week? Greetings from Seattle, bud. All right, yeah, thanks, Nick. It's, uh, I think, in the mid-60s here today, so it's not, like, warm. Um, And it's kind of been cloudy and a little bit rainy. Actually, this year we've had more rain than normal. Uh, I think we're up to, like, 12 inches or something. So it's it's above average by about an inch and a half or so for this time of the year. But, um, yeah, this week, I mean... It's tough when, you know, the college football playoff hopes were riding on Utah winning. And with Georgia losing, uh, Utah would have got in. And because Utah lost, 
you know, Oklahoma got in. So it's just um, one of those deals where if, I mean, if Utah hadn't lost to USC, things might have been different. And definitely if Oregon hadn't lost to ASU, things would have been different. Um, but, you know, I guess the Pac-12 could switch to an eight-game conference season and play cupcakes in the middle of the year like the SEC does. But, I mean, you know, no matter what, the West Coast isn't going to get that much respect just in general because the media is located mostly on the East Coast and the TV deals have the Pac-12 playing so late at night that it's just um, tough. But bottom line is Utah had a chance and was going to be in and they blew it. So, um, there's really nobody else they can blame but themselves, and um, like Kyle Whittingham said, it was a big disappointment. But I mean, you can't, you know, you can't go back in time and and try and do things differently. So um, when it comes down to it, for the rest of the season, you just gotta win. Um, what did they get to the Alamo Bowl against Texas, and for Oregon, um, the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. So there's a lot left uh, for the Pac-12's reputation. There's a lot of opportunities left. So uh, while this is a disappointing result for Utah, they can still end their season strong and uh, you know go out with a bang. All right, guys, we're going to dive in depth now here to the game. Yeah, I'm actually coming with facts. You ready? All right, so we're going to start in the first quarter. Um, obviously, this was the Pac-12 championship, so... We're going to dive a little bit more in depth than we have in other games this year. We had one game to focus on, so it's a pretty cool opportunity to, to really analyze the game at hand here. So I think the tone of this game was definitely sent, um, set um, early on. There was a fourth and one with 11.43 in the first quarter, and uh, Utah tried to rush the ball, and Oregon stuffed them. They uh, held Zach uh, Moss short in the line of scrimmage. And right then and there, that was just a big statement. Um, kind of letting Utah know, oh, you're not going to bully us around. This is not what you guys think it's going to be. And so for Oregon, great stop. It actually looked like Zach Moss may have been able to get kind of scramble or move around and wiggle for the first down. But needless to say, Oregon held him short. So credit to them. And um, on the next possession, I thought, um, let's see, what is his name here? Um, Oregon's offensive coordinator. What What's that dude's name? I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, somewhere here. Oh, um, so Marcus Arroyo, Oregon's offensive coordinator, he did a really good job of um, getting Justin Herbert involved in the rushing attack. That was a beautiful wrinkle to throw in in a championship-type situation, and it really threw Utah off balance. And not to mention, at the college level, Herbert is a big guy and a tough tackle, so he's not like someone that Utah necessarily wants to tackle, but I thought that was just an amazing, amazing kind of like um, wrinkle to throw into the game. Oregon, you know, if you guys watched the game, Oregon jumped out early, took the early lead. Um, I believe they're up 20 0 at one point. But, anyways, um, on that first drive, they ended up scoring, went up 7 0, put some pressure on the Utes from the get go, the favored Utes, I should say. And so, again, um, still early in the game, uh, Utah now kind of shot themselves in the foot on this play. But this is where that tempo kind of um, changing game, stopping them on fourth and one. Um, at the very beginning of the first quarter, he kind of played in hand because with two minutes left in the first quarter, again, Utah's faced with another fourth down situation. It's actually another fourth and short, fourth and one to be exact. Um, exact. Demundo about it, yeah. Nice. I couldn't think of a word, so roll with it. So 
Utah, again, kind of, I don't know if they were scared of the pressure of Oregon's defensive line or the physicality of Oregon up front, but they committed a false start, which sent them back to fourth and six, which the next play resulted in a block punt by um, Thibodeau for Oregon. And again, now momentum is really swinging in Oregon's favor. And um, yeah, I mean, from this point now, Oregon's really off and running hot. Game's definitely kind of flown in their hands. Um, these analogies, I'm not even sure what I'm saying, but I'm rolling with them, flowing with the hands. I've never heard that in football. I like it. Be original, ladies and gentlemen. Be original. But so, um, again, now Oregon gets the ball back, needless to say, after the blocked punt. And uh, Utah has uncharacteristic kind of mistake. They're breaking down in pass coverage. Johnny Johnson beats him over the top. And all of a sudden, Oregon scores again. And this is kind of a part of their run to the 20-0 lead. It may have been 14-0 or 17-0 at this point. But bottom line is Oregon jumped out hot, stopped Utah twice in the fourth in the first quarter on fourth downs, and capitalized on offense, moving the ball pretty easily uh, via the rush attack and the and the passing game. More impressive was the rush attack, though, I would like to say. They really dominated Utah up front. And we'll dive into uh, C.J. Verdell's, uh, Oregon's halfback C.J. Verdell's stats a little later. So, again... Now we're going to go to the second quarter, and, well, what a surprise. Utah is at another 4th and 2 situation. Um, nine minutes left in the second quarter, so still a lot of time left in the game. And I'm not sure if that opening drive stop got in Utah's head because they characteristically uh, would have handed the ball off to Zach Moss, let him do his thing, pound out a couple yards first down, right? That's it. Nope, they did not run the ball. They tried a play action. Tyler Huntley scrambled out and uh, got hit. And again, they did not get another fourth down. So here in the you're in the first, let's say, 30 minutes, no, first 25 minutes of the game, maybe even less. And now Oregon has stopped you on three separate occasions on fourth downs. From this point, Utah's lost. <laughs> they're, they're lost. We will say they you look at their sideline um, watching the game, their sideline looked defeated. They didn't even have a glimpse. There wasn't anyone pumping them up, which um actually could be a lack of leadership on the team. That's an instance where you would like quarterback Tyler Huntley or halfback Zach Moss or even the head coach Kyle Whittingham. Someone, someone, anyone. It could be like a lower-level coordinator. Someone needs to provide the fire for Utah. And at that point, they looked dead in the water. Game looked over. So again, you're kind of catching on to the trend here. So as the game went on, um, Oregon, you know, uh, at halftime, kind of as the game goes on, halftime, like that segue. So at halftime, Oregon held a pretty solid lead. Again, I don't. it's like 20-0, uh, 17-0. Utah may have scored, but I don't remember the exact score, but Utah had a firm uh, grip on the game. And so we're going to jump ahead to the third quarter, and I guess you're probably catching the theme here now, the theme of what I'm doing here. So guess what? Fourth and two for Utah. What do you think they did? Again, they did not give the ball off to halfback Zach Moss. All of a sudden at this point, they're breaking their identity. They're forgetting who they are. And, yeah, I mean, you don't play how you played all season with, with the exception of maybe a few wrinkles like Oregon did. It's going to hurt you. So, again, Utah decided to throw the ball, didn't get it, and, again, Oregon gains more confidence. And Oregon now has four fourth-down stops. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Um, obviously, it goes not impressive if you're a Utah fan, but for Oregon, that's a good game. And after all this, after all these mistakes I've mentioned by Utah, and I didn't even mention Tyler Huntley threw a bad interception in the first quarter, um, so I even left out a couple of mistakes. Utah climbed their way back to a 15-23 to game. Um, Tyler Huntley 
uh, made a nice pass to, uh, I believe it's Samson Makua on kind of like a slot fade route. Nice over-the-shoulder ball is actually one of his better throws, probably his best throw of the game. And all of a sudden, Utah's back in it. They got the two-point conversion, also a short completion of Makua. Made a good play to kind of twist his body, get the ball over the line. And yeah, Utah's back in this game. So this is where you got to knock on Oregon a little bit. This is that same, what's going on with Oregon team all year? I mean, you've literally whooped their booty the whole game. I want to use a different word, more inappropriate word. And how somehow, somehow Utah is only down by a score. A one possession. I don't even, like, no, this makes sense. Oregon was dominating. You could feel it. Zach Moss was being contained. Tyler Huntley had nothing. But somehow, Utah kept fighting. So credit to Utah. And Oregon, you gotta you gotta put the foot foot on the me- or put the pedal to the metal, foot on the neck, however you want to quote it. You had them dead in the water, and somehow you let them back of the game. So fourth quarter, guess what? Utah stopped Oregon. Wow. So as bad as the game has been, now Utah has a chance to tie the game. Ball in their hands. 23-15. Fourth quarter. Fully in it. College football playoff on the line, back in it after everything. And so from here on out, basically Oregon um, stopped them. They stacked Tyler Huntley on basically the next drive, threw, threw him back, bad field position, or um, excuse me, bad down and distance, you know, second and long type situation, third and long. And so, yeah, from there on out, Oregon pretty much dominated. Um, anything else I'd be recapping is kind of exaggeration. Oregon was able to run the ball very effectively behind C.J. Verdell from this point. Utah, just offense. Tyler Huntley had a terrible game, could get nothing going. And Oregon ended up breaking it open on a long uh, run up the middle uh, by halfback C.J. Verdell, uh, putting them up 30-15. to 15. And from that point, Utah was pretty much dead in the water. They'd use all their energy t- kind of climbing back into this game as, as a part of the comeback. And so, again... Oregon takes it 30-15. to 15. Um, They stop Utah, I believe, forced another interception by Huntley. Um, it may have been later, but they stopped him regardless. C.J. Verdell was able to attack on another touchdown late, uh, make it 37-15 in Oregon. Clearly from there, coasted on and took the victory. So a brief recap, I'm rolling with that word. A brief recap is now a brief So the brief basically, I know I said a lot in those eight minutes there. Essentially, Utah got stopped four times on fourth down in the first three quarters. Uh, most importantly, most important was the first stop with 11, 12 minutes left in the game when they tried to run it behind Zach Moss. Oregon stopped them and set the tempo for the game right there. Um, for Utah's defense, they got eaten alive on the ground and they were uncharacteristic um, in throwing the ball in fourth down situations. Um, as a whole, their defense didn't play live up to the par or maybe the expectations they had set for themselves. Um, they entered this game as the number one rush defense in the country and clearly allowing a uh, running back to rush for 200 yards is quite the opposite of past performances. So um, any other main summaries would be that Oregon included a nice wrinkle early on running the ball behind quarterback Justin Herbert. And uh, I'd say those are kind of the three big takeaways, um, kind of like from a tactical stylistic standpoint. Um a real general kind of sense of the game was Oregon was the better team throughout Utah somehow climbed back at the beginning of the fourth quarter great effort by them and their uh, great work by their head coach Kyle Whittingham but Oregon was the better team and was able to pull away in the fourth quarter making a key stop when the game got close and from there on out controlling the tempo of the game on the ground so that's my recap 
I told you I was coming with facts today, ladies and gentlemen. Call me fact. I was gonna say they call me facty Nick. That's like the weirdest and worst fact T Nick. That is, that is what it is. I'm not. Wow. That that's what we do out here, baby. That's what we're doing on the Danny Nick podcast. We're making up words. We had like breakfast or something I said earlier. I don't even know. So, uh, kind of another uh, some other key notes from this game. Uh, Utah safety Julian Blackman, who's kind of been a staple of their defense, was injured early in the second quarter. Um, diving deeper in depth in football, a safety is largely responsible for stopping big plays. But I believe that Oregon was going to kind of do what they wanted either way. I don't think his injury had too big of an impact. Um, clearly a little bit because Blackman is a heck, uh, you know, I was going to say there's is a heck of a player, but um, it, really his injury didn't mean too much. Um, another standout in this game was Oregon's linebacker. See if I can say this right here. Um, how do I say it? Kayvon, uh, oh yeah, Thibodeau. Thibodeau is spelled really weird. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau. He blocked the punt in the first quarter. He also had a key sack in the fourth quarter, and he finished the game with 2.5 sacks. Um, he's actually a defensive end. He's not a linebacker, so defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, safety, Brady Breeze for Oregon. Had a great game. He was pretty much everywhere, um, defending passes, making tackles, just being a nuisance for Utah's um, offense. And again, one more shout-out to offense coordinator Marcus Arroyo uh, for Oregon. It was a great um, tactical move to run the ball with Herbert early on. And for Utah, <laughs> no one really had a good game. I mean, I can throw out some stats, yeah. I, I mean, I guess uh, Zach Moss had his um, – he put up good statistics, 19 carries, 113 yards, as to be expected from the future NFL player. But um, if you watch the game, there was no consistency. Uh, he got these stats from mostly big runs. Um, again, no consistency, just – Big runs is kind of what it was. Uh, Tyler Huntley, 193 yards, two touchdowns, two, intercept, two interceptions. This was by far his worst performance of the year. And um, I, I really thought that this was, me personally, I can't speak for other people, but I personally thought that Huntley was going to shine in this game. And uh, his performance actually was pretty disappointing to me. I know it's hard to make plays when your wideouts aren't winning in one-on-one battles, but Huntley just made some terrible throws. And, uh, for a senior quarterback, you gotta you gotta rise to the occasion. Um, this was really his opportunity to make a name for himself at the professional levels of football and leave a lasting leg- legacy behind at Utah with a Pac-12 title. And he fell flat the job. Um, he had a great season, one great season, great career, uh, great quarterback. Seems like a great kid, but again, just fell short in the Pac-12 championship. Plain and simple, did not get the job done. Samson Nakua, as previously mentioned, had the nice touchdown catch. Um, for the Utes, it was a kind of over-the-shoulder on an inside fade, but his stats were, weren't really anything too special. Two catches, 39 yards, one touchdown. For Oregon, uh, Justin Herbert took the role of C.J. Verdell. Uh, what? <laughs> Reading my notes there a little bit wrong. Um, what I'm trying to say is Justin Herbert uh, took the role of what Tyler Huntley usually does for Utah. 193 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Didn't need to do that much. And this is what kind of been calling for Oregon to do all year. But, hey, man, they did it when it mattered most. They got their Pac-12 championship. So he played a true game manager role. And sometimes that's all you need to do at quarterback. So kudos to him not making any big mistakes. C.J. Verdell, their halfback, 208 yards and three touchdowns. 
Needless to say, against the number one rush defense in the nation, that's absolutely amazing. Seriously, that's absolutely amazing. Um, but whenever there's a day like this on the ground, um, it's a credit to the offensive line. And the offensive line dominated this game from start to finish. Uh, I'm not going to act here like I know like all four of their offensive linemen's names, or all five of their offensive linemen names. But as a collective unit, they dominated Utah and uh, held Utah's front in check, specifically their two stars in Bradley and I and Lee Kai Foto. So... Again, their offensive line opened up holes for C.J. Verdell, finished with 208 yards, three touchdowns. And Oregon's best wideout was Johnny Johnson, six catches, 87 yards, and one touchdowns. Um, got wide open a couple times, made one really tough grab in between two defenders, and all around uh, rose to the occasion because Oregon has struggled to find that one-on-one receiver, the, the guy who can win one-on-one battles all year. And today he got the job done. So kudos to Johnny Johnson the third, And yeah, that is my recap. Woo! That was a lot in 15 minutes. I don't even have a random tea this week, guys. So my voice is still feeling great. Got a lot of energy early in the morning. Birds are chirping in Seattle. My randomness is coming back. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a great performance by Oregon. Yeah, you like that transition. Great performance by Oregon. Utah clearly didn't live up to expectations in this game. And Dane, hit us with your recap, bud. I'm I'm excited to hear your side of the coin. All right, yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, you had that was good. That that recap was good. So I'm not going to add much um, to that. Uh, basically, just for me, Utah was being too aggressive. Um, they went for it four times on fourth down and got zero of them. So um, if you go over four on fourth down, you're probably not going to win a football game, and that's indi- in- indicative of you. Uh, playing from behind and you look at that first one where they could have kicked a field goal and changed the momentum of that game right there at the very start of the uh, first quarter and so you didn't get that and you're basically chasing that um, you know chasing Oregon the whole game and on the Oregon side uh, they ran the ball very effectively CJ Verdell Um, so when you're playing from behind uh, and the other team's running the ball effectively that's going to be tough to overcome, and you know, Utah's a, a team that runs the football a lot, so they don't um, do well in games where they have to play from behind because it forces them to throw the ball more. So, all in all, that's basically it. Um, really, just for me, it's just disappointing for Utah. Um, we were really expecting them to win this game and and then go to the the playoff, and they really dropped the ball. Final score is not indicative of you know, how the game really was. Um, though the first half it was twenty to zero. Utah had a really good third quarter and brought it to within a one score game. It was an eight point game, but um, they could have got another two point conversion and so I mean they were there, they had a chance and they just couldn't get it done and Oregon scored a late touchdown. Um and then CJ Verdell had a huge run before that too, so it's like a four. It's like a seventy-yard touchdown run that Verdell had. Where he, it was third and one, and they just ran it right up the middle, and he went off for like seventy yards. I think he was touched by like one guy, and he just basically kind of hurtled over him. It was an arm tackle that didn't work out, and I don't think anybody else touched him, and he went all the way down the field. Um, yeah, so just pretty disappointing. Um, wanted to recap some of the things that Kyle Whittingham said after the game. Uh, he called it a huge disappointment, um, which it was, and that's um, a lot, how a lot of people felt if you're just an objective person wanting the conference to be represented. 
in the uh, in the playoff. They asked Zach Moss um, how the game made him feel. He said he was at a loss for words. So that pretty much sums it up. Um, Kyle Whittingham had an interesting comment about scheduling, and I also mentioned this in the intro where he talked about um, if basically the conference played only in eight games, uh, eight game season, um, that that is one of the reasons why the conference is not able to get into the uh, playoff each year because if you look at the SEC, they play eight games in conference and four non-conference games, and they play like two or three cupcake games. So you, if you look at like Alabama or LSU, all these teams are playing like D2 schools at like week nine or week eight, you know, week 10. They're playing like some random team that they beat by like 60. And that's like a philosophy that they use in the SEC to ensure that they always have at the very least one team and you know, they always aim to have two teams. And so in the Pac-12, like Whittingham said, it's a balanced league. And when you have nine uh, conference games and the reputation of the conference as it is on the East Coast, if you don't win every single one of those games, you're not going to make the playoff. And so you have to run the table and you have to win the championship game. And even if you still have a loss in non-conference, you're not guaranteed in. Like, basically, they're making the Pac-12 have to be undefeated or a one-loss Pac-12 team to a top 25, um, you know, program. The loss had to be to a top 25 program. So it's um, it's tough, and the Pac-12 probably should look at changing that because there's a lot of money involved with going to the to the playoffs, and all that money goes to all the schools, and you look at the statistics for the revenue and how it's split out. Um, It's one of the lowest in the Power Five. Um, The only conference that I think is actually lower is the ACC, but that's because they have more teams. So per school, um, you know, they get less money out there in the ACC, but that's because it's like 18 teams or whatever, 16 teams. So the Pac-12 needs to, they need to look inward about why this is happening. And you need to understand that part of it is playing games at 11 p.m. Eastern. You know, that has a lot to do with it. Also, as I'm saying, it's the the scheduling where you have nine conference games. Like, okay, if, if Oregon hadn't scheduled Auburn and they just played a cupcake that week or, you know, like a San Diego State or some, like, West Coast non-Power 5 school, you know, and, and then didn't play that Auburn game, and had the exact same season, they would have been in. But because they played Auburn at the beginning of the year and lost that game and then dropped a conference game, they don't they didn't get in the playoff. And so it's just like if you if you look at what the SEC does and they're always in the playoffs, so maybe you should copy what they do and switch to eight games in the conference and play two or three cupcakes because the committee isn't punishing them for doing that. They're rewarding them. They're putting, you know, there's, what was it, one year there was two SEC teams. I mean, one year Alabama didn't even win the SEC championship or even make the championship game. They still put Alabama in. So it's just, it's just you know, it's frustrating because the conference isn't that bad. It's not like the Pac-12 is terrible. And Utah's a good program and Oregon's a good program and USC's a good program. And yet every year it's like, if the Pac-12 doesn't win that one big game in week one, 
everybody always or is already writing them off like, oh, Pac-12 is not going to make the playoffs. So they just need to take a look at all that. I mean, none of this would really be applicable if Utah had just won and took care of business, or they didn't. And so now we're left with another year with not, uh, you know, no playoff again. When was the last time the Pac-12 made the playoff? Like, when was it? Was it... <sighs> It was Washington, right? It was um, had to be Washington because it hasn't been anybody more recent. And what did Washington played Alabama that year? I think they ended up losing by like ten and were winning for at least in the first quarter, maybe through the second. So it's just it's you know it is what it is, and it's uh, something that they should take a look at. Um, for Oregon, you know, great, good job, you won this game, but you know you lost to ASU and you're not in the playoffs. So just go win the Rose Bowl and. Maybe the Pac-12 will get some more, um, you know, I guess not notoriety, but uh, the reputation will be boost if you're able to win the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. Um, people view Wisconsin as a good team, and they're the type of program that um, is really a physical. They they can be comparable to Stanford, historically Stanford, um, because they're just big and they're strong and they push you around. Um, so we'll have to see how Oregon matches up with them. Um, they did well against Utah here against their physicality, so that could um work out and then Utah is out in the uh the Alamo Bowl against Texas so you really can't lose that game um Utah doesn't have a win against the top 25 program all year and so <laughs> I mean you better not lose that game against Texas and so and then USC's in the Holiday Bowl against Iowa which is another big matchup for the conference's reputation uh which should be a good one um but yeah, I mean, just it's this is like the perfect storm um, for what you didn't want to have happen. So, I mean, Utah losing by a significant amount, and before that, Oregon losing, you know, to ASU. It was just a perfect storm of of what you know could have gone wrong or what had to have gone wrong for the Pac-12 to not get in the playoff, and it's that's what happens. So, um, like I said, the conference needs to look at scheduling and probably switch to an eight-game conference season. All right, I'm going to take a page out of Dane's book this week. I'm coming with the click, with the click, with the click, with the click. Okay, yeah. Um, Is that song by Big Sean? You ain't messing with my click. Click, click. You ain't do it like my click. I know copyright infringement, y'all. I just happened to stumble upon that word but i'm gonna give you a quick conclusion i think that between dane's great analysis and whatever i said in my section um we got the game pretty well covered here i think you understand the intricacies of the game you like that word so again oregon really was the better team from start to finish they were the best team in the conference this year and they clearly showed that this game it would be nice to have seen them perform like this all year but bottom line is they got themselves to a rose bowl they won the conference and uh, let's, I mean, they can win the Rose Bowl. There's, even though it's not the college football playoff, that's a very historical and pre- prestigious bowl and something they should be proud of. Justin Herbert would like to end his season on the right foot, and it'd be a nice win for the Pac 12 and for Oregon's football uh, program as a whole. For Utah, obviously not the performance you wanted. And I'm just going to again say it Utah Utes fans won't like me, but. They really didn't have the talent to compete in this game. <clears throat> Even though they were the number five seed in the country, they, yeah, I mean, they just, it was very apparent they couldn't hang with Oregon on the offensive and defensive lines. 
and that's what Utah's bread and butter is. So that's going to kind of need to, I mean, they can't really do anything to improve their whole lines. They're not going to be able to get the recruits to Oregon. But the one thing they can do, as I mentioned at the top, is get that one speedster receiver. It just gives the defense something to think about. And in games when you're outmatched physically, and for Utah it's not going to happen a lot because they build their team the right way from the inside out. But in the rare instances that they are outmatched physically, this is where that breakout receiver over the top can kind of level the playing field. So for Utah, get to work in the offseason. Find that guy that runs a 4-3 and get him on your team. You're still a great program. You made the Pac-12 championship the last two years in a lot of respect to what head coach Kyle Whittingham has, has done, but they couldn't get it done. So, yeah, I don't even have anything smart alecky to say. They just couldn't get it done. Oregon, go represent us well in the Pac-12 champion, or go represent us well in the Rose Bowl. Dane, take us out, bud. Thank you for your analysis as always, and thank you all for listening, and we're going to keep it classy this week. Have a good weekend, y'all. Deuces. Thanks, Nick. Um, yeah, not much more I can add. Like I said, the scheduling needs to be looked at. And, um, yeah, I mean, Rose Bowl's still available. Victory there um, is still up, uh, you know, potential for Oregon. And really for Justin Herbert's legacy, this is um, shaping up to be um, the biggest game of his career, obviously. And um, really his is... Uh, I guess his reputation, not really, but his um his lore, his legacy, like I said, is uh really riding on this game. If he's able to win a Rose Bowl and you look at his stats, I mean, it's legitimate to say he's second, you know, right behind Marcus Mariota. Um he's obviously didn't eclipse Mariota, but um he wouldn't be, you know, all that far away uh from what Mariota did. Um, you know, I mean, he's, it's not like he's going to have a national championship game appearance on his resume and all that, that Mariota accomplished. But if you're able to win a Rose bowl, that is certainly worthy of, you know, putting it on your resume. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. And I'm hoping that they're able to win that game and the other conference teams are able to win and we'll see how it all shakes out in the end. But um, I'm not sure if they'll be favored to win that game either. Though, uh, if they play like this, they should win. And um, for Utah, you need to get your recruiting together because your class right now is the worst in the conference. Um, I'm sure the individual players that you have, if you just took the average rating, your um, your recruiting class is pretty good. But you only have, I think, nine, maybe ten recruits right now. And you're at the bottom of the of the Pac-12. Uh, I think above you is like USC and Arizona. So you need to uh, you need to get your recruiting together. I don't know what's going on because you're losing a lot of seniors, and your class is not where it needs to be. So I don't know if Kyle Whittingham has been um, focusing on this season, so hasn't been recruiting as much. But that's something that needs to be addressed and quickly because the signing day, early signing day, is here on the fifteenth, and a lot of good prospects. We'll sign early, um, and you're not having a great class so far, so that needs to be addressed, and uh, that starts right now with all the visits that you can do um, here in the next 10 days, but yeah, that needs to be fixed, and and then you need to prepare for Texas because they're going to come wanting to beat you, and you're going to need to win that game you know, for the reputation not only of your school but 
of the conference, you know, as a whole. But we'll break down each game coming up, uh, each bowl game, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys um, for the next one. <laughs>